Well, good morning. I am I'm running behind where I expected to be, but the Lord is sovereign over even those things. So if you want to open your Bibles, the text we're going to be looking at this morning is in Colossians chapter 2. So you can go ahead and go to Colossians chapter 2. And again, I, I'm getting started much later than I expected. So I'm going to follow my notes in one respect, but in another respect, I'm going to be going a little bit more off of my mind. And so I will try not to wander. But the starting point for this, I want to give a a little background. I would love, you know, Rachel just turned 18. I figure by the time Christine turns 18, no, Rachel turned 18 next month. By the time Christine turns 18, I should be finishing up with the book of Hebrews. So, so in about 10 years, one of the things that I have thought for a long time is I would like to go to the book of Colossians next. So this may be a preview of something, but the book of Colossians I started studying in seminary, and it, and it fascinated me from the first time I studied it. Unlike a lot of Paul's letters, in all likelihood, Paul had never been to the city of Colossae. The, the city has not existed for centuries. It was destroyed by an earthquake. And there was a time when the city of Colossae was a prominent city. You'd have to go back under a Persian empire to where that occurred. But when the Roman Empire started, they rerouted some roads. And there were three cities in this area called the Lycus Valley. One is Heriopolis. It's a funny, I'm not even sure I pronounce it correctly, but that's the best you could do. Heriopolis. One is Laodicea, probably a more prominent thing because of the book of Revelation. At least people have heard that name. And then the city of Colossae. And when the Romans relocated the roads, Laodicea did okay and Heriopolis did okay. But Colossae pretty much dried up as a city. So there's a sense in which this letter might have been written to the least significant location of any New Testament letter. It wasn't like the city of Rome where everything was prominent. And yet, God inspired the Apostle Paul to write a letter to what we would term a nothing place. So from the standpoint of strategy, strategic resources, you would scratch your head in some respects because Paul took time to write to a church that was off the beaten path. And Paul wrote to this church while he was in prison. He was imprisoned in Rome unjustly. But he had a lot of freedom during this particular imprisonment to write. And a man named Epaphras had come all the way from the city of Colossae to the city of Rome. In all likelihood, Epaphras was converted when Paul was ministering in Ephesus, which, again, I'm not looking at my notes, and I should. I think it was about 100 miles away, roughly speaking, Ephesus and Colossae. So the thought is, the speculation is, that this man, Paphras, was saved in Ephesus. He went back to the Lycus Valley and wound up preaching the gospel and founding the church in Colossae. And this church did well. It had positive things. If you recall, a few Sundays ago, I talked, uh, I think, can't remember exactly how many Sundays ago, maybe a few months ago, sometime in the last year, I talked a message on <laughs> prayer. My life is a little bit scrambled. I talked a message on prayer because of what Paul says at the beginning of the book of Colossae. And the things that Paul says are very positive. This church was doing very well. It had some strength. It was doing some good things. And yet, 
there was a danger lurking for this church. I think it's interesting when you read the prayer in chapter 1, how Paul's prayers talk about them being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual insight and understanding. Ultimately, the idea was Paul was concerned, even though they had known the word, they knew the word, Paul wanted them to know the word even better. And while the prayer doesn't reflect it, the reason is found once we start into chapter 2, because there was a heresy being circulated. It wasn't a heresy that you could write out a one-sentence definition, but within the church, people were passing off something as knowledge which was false. So you had people coming into the church, sharing information, sharing things, and yet it deviated from Scripture. It deviated from truth about Christ. And this man Epaphras was so concerned that he took an extraordinary journey in that day and age to go from the city of Colossae all the way to Rome to find the Apostle Paul to ask the Apostle Paul's help. And the Apostle Paul didn't turn him away, the Apostle Paul immediately responded and he sent this letter. So I'm going to read the first eight verses of chapter 2. And because of time constraints, I'm not going to be able to develop it as much as I would like. But the substance is from these first eight verses. So follow along with me while I read from Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than... According to Christ. Really, the Apostle Paul is talking here about spiritual deception. He is suggesting that it's possible, if you're not on your guard, that you can be deceived in the church, that you can be deceived by smooth talking pitchmen who were selling a lie. What's interesting is years ago I had an opportunity that still the biggest group I ever preached to was the college ministry at Grace Community Church. The college ministry there was a little unusual for college ministries because it was a lot bigger than this church. We would often have 800 students on a Sunday. To this day it's still the biggest group I ever preached to. And it's interesting because I preached this message. And at that time I had been ministering with college students for probably close to three years 
And I was very concerned about college students hearing this truth because they're at a crossroads. Many of them were professing faith, and yet almost all of them, not all of them, almost all of them went to secular colleges where they were going to be inundated by false information, untruths, by people who were very, very smart. By men and women who had been gifted with great minds, but those minds were still under the control of satanic influences because they did not know the truth. And I was concerned because I look out over a sea of 800 students and think how many of them are in danger of being carried away captive. Now, that was many years ago. And my thoughts don't change. I still am concerned about young people, particularly as my daughter starts college in the fall. And I see many other young people that I've gotten to know and I love that are going to colleges and I worry about them. But something that I didn't necessarily anticipate as I've been in ministry now almost eight years is I recognize it's not just a danger for young people. Because I see older people getting led away. I see older individuals who start getting deceived. And so as I think through this, this is one of the reasons I think I was ever called into ministry is because so many people are deceived. Now, I'm not God's unique representative. He doesn't need me. If I drop down, God can produce shark tooth. You know, another somebody can pop up and teach the word. God is faithful. He, I am not that important. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But as a lawyer and as someone who very much cares about thinking in the mind, this was one of the first draws to pastoral ministry is I wanted to warn people. I wanted to help people. Because if you don't know the scriptures, you're in danger. And that's the Apostle Paul's goal here. And I want to stress that with us this morning. I, in one sense, am preaching to the choir. You go to a strong church. By God's grace, you are governed by a group of elders who are united, and we're on the alert. We're not perfect. We have our weaknesses, but we take seriously the protection of the flock that God has entrusted to us at Lakeside. But we're not the only people you hear. If you ever turn on a Christian radio, you're influenced. If you ever turn on a TV preacher, you're influenced. If you pick up a book in a Christian bookstore, you're influenced. If you talk to a friend from somewhere else who doesn't go here, you're influenced. And what I have seen over the last many years, and the only reason I've seen it over the last many years is I've only been saved that long. I don't doubt it's always been going on, but as an unbeliever, I never paid attention, is a proliferation of things that are close to the truth, but they're not truth. They sound good and they appeal to our senses, but they're lies. So I hope Paul's words, as we briefly run through them, will encourage us. And so I have this broken down, sort of four safeguards to avoid spiritual captivity. And the first safeguard is this, it's strengthen your heart. Strengthen your heart. And I get this from the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 1 that he has a great struggle on behalf of those in Colossae and on behalf of those in Laodicea. And for all those who have not personally seen my face, he understands most people there don't know him personally. They may know him by reputation. They may know him by name. Just like somebody who was saved under the teaching ministry of Steve Kreloff could go somewhere else and say, I was saved under his teaching. They may not know Steve, but they've at least heard something about him. The Apostle Paul 
was known to these people by name, but he didn't physically have stood in front of them. And he said he had a great struggle for them, meaning even though the Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome, he was a prayer warrior for this church. His struggle was internal. He wasn't physically standing in the pulpit fighting off false teachers. His struggle was he understood the dangers in front of them. And I think this all ties in when you look at his prayer in chapter 1 where he's saying his prayer for them is that they would be strengthened, they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. He understood that was critical. And that's what he's talking about in verse 2. I have this great struggle, meaning he prays for you, that their hearts may be encouraged. Reading through, understanding what he's saying, this isn't just I want you to feel a little bit more cheerful or chipper. He's basically saying, I want your minds to be strengthened. I want your hearts, who you are, your thinking person, your personality, I want you to be strengthened in the church. Obviously, the unity, being knit together in love, is what all Christians are supposed to do. That's what our goal is. But what Paul wanted for them was not just to feel good. Notice what he says in verse 2. Attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. In other words, Paul knew that the best protection against deception was to be anchored in the truth. He wanted them to be confident in what they understood. He had praised the Lord that they had responded so well to the word. He praised the Lord that they had responded in love. That's chapter 1, verse 4. But he knew that the ultimate protection against deception was for them to be grounded in the word of God. That's what they needed. That full assurance of understanding doesn't come from being more confident or anything else. It comes from knowing the word of God. He says it resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is the angle Paul is taking. The people in that era valued intellectual knowledge. They valued philosophical knowledge. They valued knowledge. But Paul understood not all knowledge is created equally. Because as Jesus said, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. There are doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons are not propagated in bars. They're propagated in churches. That's where they come from. So the Apostle Paul understands that these people might have an innate desire to know truth. And they're being bombarded all around them with things advertising themselves as truth. And the Apostle Paul says there's only one truth. And it's in Jesus Christ. I want you to be anchored there. I want you to be grounded there. Because that's where you find true wisdom. That's where you find true knowledge. And what the Apostle Paul was saying then is true today. The human heart hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Everybody wants to feel smart. Everybody wants to feel like they have new insight. We are bombarded with information like no generation in human history in terms of its rapidity. I have in front of me preaching from an iPad. I have an iPhone. can't remember where we were. Debbie and I were, I think we were waiting in line at Disney somewhere, and there had to have been a two-year-old punching on a phone. Yeah, I mean, I, this was, it was just, it's like, what a world we live in. 
And she wasn't punching randomly. She knew what she was doing. So from an early age until you get to the end of your life, even if you live to be 100, you have access to more information than ever before. And I still remember when I was a little kid, we only had one TV channel. I used to get up and watch test patterns on Saturday, waiting for cartoons. <laughs> I'd just sit there. I couldn't wake up anybody else. It's not that way anymore. We are bombarded from early until late in life with information. And as Christians, we can never let our guard down because there's always information that challenges the Bible. Every week, I, I read the news a lot, I scan headlines. It seems like every week, several times a month, there's some new supposed discovery that disproves the Bible. It never stops. Supposedly an archaeological discovery, or supposedly a scientific discovery, or supposedly some other type of discovery. And on and on and on it goes. And as believers, praise the Lord that on Sunday mornings we have something of a protective bubble here at Lakeside. But this is a very small part of your week. It really is. Most of your time is outside of this bubble and you need to be on guard. You need to constantly strengthen your heart. The worst mistake you could make is think, well, I know enough. I've been at Lakeside 20 years. I know enough. No, you never know enough because Satan will never stop attacking. I always think it's interesting. The Colossians were a strong church at this time. They were doing some good things. They were bearing fruit. They exhibited genuine love for other believers. They were praised for this. These are good things. And yet the Apostle Paul thought that this strong church that had some good strengths was in danger. The dangers are still real. Now the doctrines that they were propagating at that time all centered on an attack on Jesus Christ. That hasn't changed. Why is it so important for a fallen world to have everyone embrace the idea of evolution? Because then the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 becomes a myth. And Jesus Christ came because of the fall of mankind. Everything that you see going on around you in secular society that passes for knowledge implicitly or explicitly is an attack on what the scriptures say about Jesus Christ. That's never changed and it never will. Perhaps there was a time when the attacks were more subtle, but Jesus Christ is always the target because only Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. If Satan can block access to Jesus, he wins. That soul's going to hell because no one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. So you need to be on the alert. Even with all the knowledge you have, you've got to continue to pay attention. Don't ever let your attendance and the hearing of the teaching of God's word by Steve fall under the, the heading of, well, I've sort of done this before. I, I've got to move on more quickly than I want. The second safeguard, I might not even get through all the safeguards. The second safeguard is this. You've got to guard your ears. You've got to guard your ears. I probably could add and guard your eyes in case you read more than you listen. But again, the Apostle Paul here is writing to a church that's doing well. In verse 5, I'm going to come back to verse 4. He says, For even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Again, this wasn't a church that was already off the rails in trouble. They were doing good things as the idea of military order. They were doing some positive things. But look what precedes that in verse 4. 
I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. One of the great concerns that I have with Christians is Christians are gullible. If somebody that's talking to them says, I'm a Christian too. It's almost as though Christians will believe anything as long as in the book jacket it says, this person's been a believer for 20 years. Oh, okay. What does the Bible say? Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. If you ever saw Satan in person, you wouldn't be repulsed by him. You'd be attracted to him because he's a master deceiver. So the Apostle Paul is telling these people, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. These are people who speak well. People spreading falsehood 2,000 years ago were not bumbling fools. They were articulate. They could argue comprehensively, logically. These were smooth-talking liars that were looking for a following. Paul didn't want the believers to be deluded, to be deceived. It always concerns me when I see in any circumstance people that are fascinated. Boy, I just love to listen to the sound of his voice. Boy, he, she speaks so clearly. I, I wish I could speak like she does. That's all irrelevant. Is it true? When I was in seminary, I was blessed. I, I, I was blessed to go to seminary. I was blessed to be at a good seminary. But I was never impressed by the eloquence or the intellect of my professors. I never was. I was impressed by their godliness. Why is that? Because I had also been to law school. The smartest people I've ever been around in my life were in that law school. The most articulate, compelling, persuasive speakers I'd ever been around were in law school, not in seminary. And they were all lost and going to hell. They were good. I'm thinking of one in particular now. I'd be nervous, even strong Christians in this room. He could sit down. He was from an unbelieving Jewish background, and he would poke holes in Christianity that if you weren't strongly grounded, you would have been floundering. Going, uh, 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 uh. But he was a liar. But he was a good liar. And that's not synonymous with lawyer. I want to encourage you, focus on truth. When Pastor Steve teaches, be a Berean, make sure it's true. When I speak to you, don't take it because you like Joe. Look in the scriptures. Is that what it says? That's got to be the case with any teachings. I went to a conference a few years ago, and the guy who was on the stage, and I'm not going to share his name, it's not necessary, but he's a prominent, prominent pastor. He said to a room full of people, can we just agree that we all understand what the Bible says? So all I do in my sermon preparation is try and figure out how to present it in the right way. It's all about style. We know what the Bible means. Are you kidding me? Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You can plumb the depths of the scripture your entire life and you won't exhaust what God has put in the simple pages of this book. And yet this guy was all about style. Hey, we just got to get right style. And he was really cool. He wore nicer. He didn't wear a suit and a tie. He was really snazzy looking. Had a nice beard and everything. Let me tell you, that is a prominent evangelical pastor. 
that a lot of people at this church probably listen to. And he probably has led many people to Christ. I don't want to detract from that. That's a good thing. But he has succumbed to the danger of style over substance. It's all around you. The books that are being propagated, they don't publish books because they're true. They publish books because people will buy them. They don't make Christian movies because they're true. They make Christian movies because people will buy a ticket. Be on guard. People can delude you with persuasive arguments. Please, 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 with all the resources at your disposal here at Lakeside, be on guard. Be careful. I don't care where you are. Listen carefully. If something strikes a wrong chord in your mind, look it up in the Word of God. Seek out your elders. Seek out somebody that you trust and ask for second opinion. I'm always encouraged when somebody from the church comes to me and says, hey, I heard this. Is this true? Don't be hesitate to do that. i got to quickly cover two more safeguards. One, The third safeguard is this. And I apologize that I'm having to rush through this, but again... In 10 years, if you stay here, I'll start teaching Colossians and you'll hear it again and I'll do, I'll do much more detail. The third safeguard is live your faith. Live your faith. This is really an offshoot of the Apostle Paul's prayer in chapter 1 where he says, I pray for all these things so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects. He says this in verse 6 of chapter 2, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. This is really Paul saying, do what I'm praying for you to do. I'm praying for you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's saying here, you have already received enough truth, enough knowledge for you to be able to do that. That's important. If you're walking in the truth, a lot of things flow from that. Number one, it means you're going to church means you're probably going to a church that's teaching truth. Because if you know truth, you're going to pick up error just like that. And you're going to be firmly rooted and built up and established. And that's going to allow you to walk worthy, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to walk in Christ Jesus. And again, that is the best safeguard against error. More than once I've talked to people and they've fallen off a cliff spiritually. They're confused, they're discombobulated in their spiritual life, they don't know which way is up, and you talk to them, okay, tell me about your life. Well, they stopped reading the Bible regularly and they don't remember the last time they actually prayed and they had stopped going to church and they don't fellowship with Christians, they're not around other believers but I don't understand, how did this happen to me? And I don't mock them or, or chastise them. I feel bad for them. But that's obvious. You've got to be walking and living out your faith if you want to resist Satan, if you want to resist lies. If you don't want to be deluded by error, then you need to live out the truth. So it's particularly important in a church like Lakeside. You are inundated with a lot of knowledge. If you enjoy learning, this is a great place for you. You will learn. 
But learning without applying puts you in the category of someone not only who's in danger of being deluded by smooth-talking, persuasive arguments, you're deluding yourselves according to James. Because you've proved yourself just a hearer of the word, not a doer of the word. And so finally, the, the last safeguard. Again, I have to close this much quicker than I would like. I'll phrase it this way, and when I originally prepared this, thinking it through, the fourth safeguard is this, protect your freedom. Protect your freedom. And when I say that, I don't mean freedom in the sense of America and patriotism or anything like that. What I'm talking about is the freedom you have in the truth. The freedom you have in your salvation. The freedom you have in your relationship with Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, if you're walking in him, this is the only time in your life you've ever been free. Because as an unbeliever, you're enslaved to darkness. You're a captive of the enemy. You're a, a part of the kingdom of darkness and you're locked there. You're a prisoner. But when Christ calls you, when Christ draws you out, when you hear the gospel... It's like the hymn, my chains fell off. And verse 8 in that context takes on an interesting light. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Here's really the picture. You've been liberated by Jesus Christ. You've been set free. The chains have fallen off. Satan's trying to get them back on. And we understand nothing can snatch us out of the Father's hand. Praise the Lord for that. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But in terms of your ability to impact the world around you, your ability to be salt and light in a dark world, you can't go back into captivity of your mind thinking deluded thoughts this idea of philosophy is not the modern discipline and academic setting of philosophy although there's plenty of problems with that the idea is that it is a human system of wisdom Philosophy, empty deception, traditions of men, these are all fitting together. And what you understand, the longer you study history, the longer you see biblical history, the longer you study secular history, the longer you study life around you, Satan has no new material. He just repackages it for a new generation and a new gullible bunch of people wander off after it. One of the people that's fascinating to listen to, one of the brightest people that I've ever been exposed to is Phil Johnson, Steve's best friend from Moody. It's fascinating because you hear a false teacher now talking about something untrue. Phil Johnson, from memory, can tell you which heresy that was from the 2nd century or the 3rd century. It's just repackaged. He can tell you the name of the people that propagated it and what church council did these things. fascinating to be around. But there's always something that the world comes up with to replace the Bible. Right now, science seems to hold sway, but science is just a passing thing. Eventually, that will wear out. 
There's a lot of moral relativism going on. That's been around forever. Over and over again, you're going to keep hearing, well, the Bible is outdated. The Bible's stale. The Bible's not true. We've got to redo the Bible. We've got to rethink the Bible. We've got to reimagine the Bible. That's all a lie. That's all subterfuge. Trying to blind people from the only hope of salvation. At the end of the day, it all comes back to Christ. The only true knowledge comes from Christ, comes from the Word. That's why we've got to protect our freedom, because even though we are free, even though we know the truth, there's always somebody coming by to try and cloud it, to mask it, to get us to doubt it. I remember what precipitated part of this message. I used to do with the college ministry in California. We used to go to the USC Medical Center. That was where they had all the indigent care, tons of people to care for. And I went in to witness in one bedroom, and I was with some college students, and there were, it was older people. That was a long time ago. I wonder if I would think they were older now. But anyway, <laughs> they were older people. I'm guessing the guy was 60-plus. Um, oh, yeah, I was getting up there. I, I only say that to make a relevant point, not to jab you if you're north of 70. Um, it was this. He was somebody that had been around the block, and he was, it was what reminded me was there was this woman, and there was a lady in a bed, and there's this woman walking around like this, doing some kind of new age, you know, weird thing, and it was almost amusing, except it's a sad place. But I was shocked because I started talking to this guy and we're trying to witness. And this guy, I felt like he was a messenger of Satan. He was running interference. And he was very, very smart. He knew biblical history. He actually knew Reformation history. He knew the Bible. And so I'm trying to witness to this lady in a bed while this other lady is doing some kind of voodoo or something around the room and doing things. And I felt like this guy was just Satan's emissary to stop me. And I don't get too mystical with this. What was fascinating, though, was he knew all this truth. And this wasn't a young guy. This was an older guy. And I was amazed how much he knew. And, that was, and I'm, again, I was in the middle of seminary time, so the things that I've forgotten since seminary, I still remembered then. And I know how to craft an argument from my legal background. I was still practicing law at the time. And I was finding a formidable foe who was trying to meet at every turn my biblical truth. And I was fascinated at what he said at the end. Because at the end I realized I've shared the truth, I've shared the gospel. There's only so much you can do in a hospital bed. What am I going to hit somebody with an IV pole? I mean, you can't do that. And God is sovereign. But what was interesting was the guy's response at the end of it. He said, you know what? I used to believe what you believe. Now, I don't think he ever actually did. He would be the definition of an apostate, as we've talked about, as you've heard me talk about. But the point was, it's possible to know the truth backwards and forwards and walk off a cliff of deception. Don't let that happen to you. Let me close our time in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this brief time we've had to deal with truth. Lord, I pray that you would protect all of our hearts, protect us from being deceived, protect us from the lies of the enemy. Lord, protect each one of us 
from the resources that are around us. I pray that we wouldn't be swayed or, or drawn away from the truth by any lies of Satan, no matter how they're packaged or presented. Pray that you will equip us and strengthen us to carry out your will. And we ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.